I want to welcome everyone tonight for taking the time to look at and share with us a series of talks that we've been working on and how do we think differently? How do we live differently? How do we see God differently? How do we experience ourselves differently? This is Miracles Now, so it's also about the nature of do our choices and do our experiences lead to healing at the same time. We're living in a very tough time of change, whether it's coronavirus, whether it's businesses, whether it's differences in opinion, whether it's not knowing how to work with technology. We're all facing change, and the world will continue to change as it always does. So we're hoping in these talks that we can bring you closer to that connection with God in your heart, in your life, and your health and family. So Bishop Bobby, I would like you to open, have us open with a prayer. Divine Benefactor, we call upon your grace now. Your infinite wisdom, your perfect mercy, all of your attributes, to completely surround us now in this magnificent energy. You are bigger than any doubt or fear. You are the creation. You are the template that we're all aiming for. So help us now. Shed a light on us so that we may find our way wherever we find ourselves right now. Let it be with your light and your intercession, with your help and with your mercy. I'm very grateful to be in your presence right now, to be experiencing this call with my brothers and my sisters in our community. And whatever words, whatever vision, whatever understanding that you want us to, to walk away from today, let it be. In your mercy, let it be in your wisdom. Let it be in your grace. And so it is. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Bobby. Thank you, Padre Paul, for being here um, in this discussion. I hope to start off with a way to make everybody look at things a little differently. And then I want to invite you both in to tell me your experiences about doubt. And the title being Removing All Doubt, first thing I had was doubt. Can I <laughs> do this talk? Since I'm uh, doubting Thomas is one of those disciples I feel very close to. I got to touch things. I got to feel things. I can't really get it in belief. So I was very grateful for my guides to download uh, the way to look at it through scripture. Padre had given me scripture and I thought I want to really open it up. So the two th- the two scripture quotes that are behind this whole talk is Luke 10, 25 through 28, where Jesus is teaching. And when they talk about a lawyer, that's going to be a, um, a person in the church who, in a lot of the ancient traditions, everything was discussed and debated. Whether it's Tibetan Buddhism, Judaism, there was a lot of debate. Even in the early Christian church, there was a lot of debate. We don't have that now. It's more conflict. But the debate was, I need to understand this. It was like a class. So the lawyer stands up to Jesus and puts him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, 
you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Matthew 8, 1 through 3. Jesus, living this way, came down from the mountains. Great crowds were followed him. Behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand, touched him, saying, I will be clean. And with that decree, immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Now, the reason I'm stating this is my concept of removing all doubt is our willingness to move beyond our attachment to mental beliefs and to become more open to curiosity and inquiry with God. When that happens, any miracle is possible. But for that to happen, one must first commit to the two great commandments. To, allow, to love and allow God, Holy Spirit, to enter our hearts, mind, and body. Only through that experience of surrender to innocence and curiosity can miracles then happen. Now, as I was growing up, I was taught a lot about the difference between doubt and the way to overcome it was through belief. And that never worked for me because I just didn't know what to believe in. So I was always sued with the two great commandments because... Jesus was talking about understanding you have to take action. You have to commit with all your heart and soul, all your strength and all your mind to God and loving God and hearing God. And when you have that, then you have to treat your neighbor as yourself and you have to see God in them. And, he, and his statement of how to live was you have to do this, not believe this, but do this. And you can't believe in loving God, you must do those steps of loving God, which becomes difficult when doubt is ever-present. And sometimes we get a little stuck because we are confused between the difference between cynicism, doubt, and blind faith. They're all degrees of doubt, and they're completely different than real faith. And therefore, to understand that difference, I want to take you through a little history lesson about sin. Now, the seven deadly sins, or capital vices, etc., originated with the Desert Fathers, especially Agrius Ponticus. And this was, you know, after Jesus has passed, and we're now in the second or third century. And he identified seven or eight evil thoughts, thoughts or spirits, because every thought that we have is also connected to some radio station. We're talking to our highest guides and Holy Spirit, or we're talking to fear beings. And he saw these seven deadly sins as the things that bring us down. We're very familiar to those. those pride, avarice, envy, anger, lust, gluttony, and sloth. Now, they didn't appear in the Bible. Jesus didn't teach the seven deadly sins. He talked about that if you walked away from loving God, any sin, and a sin is a choice that's off the mark, meaning that if you're aiming to be in alignment, then there's a certain choice you have to make to be in alignment. If you're shooting an arrow, actually sin is an archery term in Greek, from Greek. And if you get distracted or through your own thoughts look over there, then you miss the mark. The great thing about a sin, though, is you can correct it. Now, what's interesting is before sins and before the discussion of sins that happened again in the second or third century, is before that, the Sufis, 2,500 years ago, had something called the Enneagram. And the Enneagram was qualities of God that we are, 
And when we lose those through our choice or distraction, we hit what they called passions. In those passions, then later the Enneagram was identified way, way, way to now and the New Age movement is used to just personality types, etc. But the passions were actually the original sins. And in the passions, there were nine instead of seven. So anger, pride, envy, avarice, gluttony, lust, and sloth were there. But there were two that later the Christian church left out. One was deceit, and one was fear. If you combine those together, you have doubt. <laughs> and one thing, if you take fear away as a sin, and then everybody just goes ahead and they're afraid all the time. Or if you lie to yourself <laughs> about the truth, you constantly can make up rationalizations about why this or that isn't true. Yeah. Now, before all this happened, the source of these nine fetters, or the seven sins, I'm sorry, these nine passions and these seven sins, originated with Buddha's walk of life, where he experienced in his encounter with Mara, just like Jesus in the desert, at the very end of his challenge toward taking that step to freedom and knowing God in all ways, he encountered Mara, who tempted him with ten chief sins. These sins, in his language, are known as fetters. And fetter in Sanskrit means attachment, mental attachment. So all these things, whether they are considered fetters or whether they're considered passions or the sins, are all mental attachments. Of those ten fetters, doubt is the second fetter. I'm going to quote some information from different texts, so bear with me. Doubt refers specifically to the doubt that Buddha's practice of cultivating morality, concentration, and wisdom will bring lasting happiness. It's no different than doubting specifically that Jesus' description of the two great commandments are actually going to get you anywhere. Doubt may become active when you stray from what you truly know in the present movement and reflect unwisely upon matters that tend to stimulate uncertainty. These are speculative, unanswerable questions, such as how and when the universe came to existence and other such things. The Buddha always advised people simply to watch these questions arise and pass away because they're just bait. Do not follow them or worry about them. Proceed with your attempts to understand and reflect upon, upon what you know by personal experience not merely by reasoning in this moment. So what happens in doubt is that we start to play a game, and we think the game is worthwhile. Now to the far left of this, or I guess the far right, I guess you would call it, cynicism is deeper than doubt. Cynicism is doubt that is based upon a foregone conclusion, meaning I'm not open to any other examples. For example, you doubt another person from the pre-assumption that he or she lacks goodness and so will not come through for you. Cynicism comes in many degrees and levels. It might take the form of not believing there's such a thing as God, Holy Spirit, or essence, believing that it does not exist, is not part of you. Or if it might exist as part of you, it is fickle and unreliable. It's going to come and go. And these are beliefs. Again, beliefs are things that you're making up in your mind and may not have true understanding of a past experience. So you claim you think you understand it. We're doing that right now about coronavirus. We are making all sorts of assumptions. I want to get out. I need, this is going to kill me. We're not understanding the actual truth 
of the science or the experience. Now, science is not, you know, science has also taken doubt and misused it as well, but science is curiosity or expression of question and answer. So what will happen is faith can also, uh, if we have cynicism on the far right and we have doubt in the middle where I'm just thinking, okay, well, I'm kind of open, and then we have blind faith on the far left, faith, in a sense, is a way that most people have been taught to use it, which is to believe. For instance, when, we, when I went to church, we were told to have faith. Most people think that means they have to believe in God and Christ and the doctrines of the church. So in the beginning of your experience, faith is seen as belief. I believe there is a God, so I have faith in God. I believe that Christ died to save humanity and reduce our suffering. I believe that this, because somebody I trust told me. Now, we don't actually have that experience, which is why some people have a born-again experience or a state of, they take refuge, or a type of surrender, and then all of a sudden you have an experience. But we can limit that experience based upon, again, a type of cynicism or foregone conclusion, because we don't want to even take the risk that maybe what I believe could be wrong. So I'm really happy here. So that could turn into blind faith, where you might have had one experience, and now all the rest of the things that you're saying you think are true. Like you think maybe that Jesus taught about the seven deadly sins, which he didn't. Or you might not understand the sins came from earlier cultures that were trying to pass along. How do we get separated from God so easily? Why is it that we don't experience God? So from a teacher that I studied with, A.H. Almas, I teach at the Ridwan School in California, he wrote a lot of articles about this. were very helpful for me to kind of understand this in my mind so I could get past the fear of opening. So he says, real faith results not from belief, but from real knowledge. When you really know what you, when you really know because you have perceived directly, then you have real faith. So real faith means the direct knowing of that which you have faith in. When you have perceived God, when you have experienced God, when you have communication with God, then you have real faith. It's unshakable because you've seen it, felt it. You may not be seeing it right now, but you've seen it at least once. So faith is belief in the existence of something you have experienced or perceived directly prior to this. So it's not a mental belief based on an inner experience. It's not a matter of having an experience of essence and therefore knowing in your mind that essence doesn't exceed, indeed exist. Essence is another word in Sufism for the presence of the Holy Spirit. It is really a transformation that takes place in the soul in which essence as one's nature becomes a certainty, a given, and not something you need to remember or remind yourself of. This knowing has become integrated and transformed your consciousness itself. As long as one's faith is only mental, doubt can creep in. And since doubt itself is mental, something that is only a memory, is an easy target for it. When real faith is present, a transformation has taken place, and there's no going back. When we're in a time period like we are right now, we get stuck because what we may have had faith in before feels challenged because our life is really scary, and then doubt creeps in again. So again, he goes on. However, not to doubt doesn't mean not to question. Questioning means curiosity and openness. While doubt expresses skepticism and fear. I want to say that again. Questioning means curiosity and openness. While doubt expresses skepticism and fear. Curiosity, for example, says, well, let me find out. I'm open and curious. And I'm happy to really inquire into whether guidance 
my guides, Holy Spirit, exists or not. Doubt says, I don't know if there is such a thing, and I'm suspicious and trustful. Some people say that doubt is good because it is a scientific approach, but that's not true. And I come from that background. Scientific approach is not doubt or skepticism. It's inquiry. It is questioning and challenging and being open to whatever answer you get. Doubt or skepticism is a negative energy, a worry energy, a distorted expression of our being. While curiosity and inquiry is a positive energy, an expression of the optimizing force of God. God is constantly curious. So we don't need skepticism, doubt in science, in in our solutions right now to our daily lives. What we need is questioning, inquiry, and a curiosity that embodies openness. So inquiry, which is questioning based upon a joyous curiosity, is not only good, but also necessary for invoking the presence. In contrast, doubt or skepticism is a paranoid, aggressive attitude that cuts life off before it has a chance to grow. Doubt says no to God, or to experience, or to healing. And doubt is a direct manifestation of the absence of faith in our guidance. So I was looking at this myself, realizing this has been my struggle for the entire last year. Am I willing to take, while I took a vow to really love God and to be with God and honor God every day, there are moments I don't want to listen. And that's doubt. Don't want to comes from a presupposition as I doubt that guidance will give me what I want. And my issue is always about my time or my way or my things. For a lot of us, it's my beliefs or my concepts or my um, desires, my plans. I got all those ripped away a long time ago, so I'm not worried about the plan part. But I'd like to have my time. (laughs) Padre and I talk about that a lot. And then we're laughing because it's like, no, there is... You think there's separate time from God? And I'm like, oh, yeah, that would be the doubt corner. I go sit in and say, yeah, now that I doubt that God can help me, I'm going to just watch this show, and that will help me. Or I'm going to read this book, and that will help me. As opposed to God tells me to go ahead and watch a show or read this book. It's all part of the investigation, all part of the clearing. So sometimes we keep saying to ourselves that we're open to changing from doubt while we're using doubt to say it. The type of thinking, like it's a healthy skepticism. Now, I think that there's a uh, a place in which you have your your own your space, and you don't have to be skeptical about another person's belief. We'll use skepticism as a reason to judge another person's belief instead of allow them to have the belief they're in. I've had many times where I've had people like Ron or other teachers look at me and laugh with something I was saying because they knew a truth I didn't experience yet. Now, the laugh was with me, not about me. And so later I could laugh as well, going, oh, oh, I see. And now many of my students are confused when they start talking and I start laughing because I can see the doubt that they're in, that they're stuck in as they're asking their question. And we can't get anywhere with an answer if that doubt is present. So I'm asking everyone to consider Do you have moments when you've been cynical about something spiritual? Have you been in doubt about God that exists even though you come to see him all the time? And so you're instead feel more comfortable with a saint. You feel more comfortable with the idea of the Holy Spirit. Oh, the Holy Spirit is God. Have you ever been told to believe in God and it felt untrue to you? It just didn't feel right the way it was being expressed by another. 
they've been told not to question God or scripture or a teacher. And rightly or wrongly, maybe your questioning was coming from doubt and you were told to slow it down a little bit because you weren't really asking an open question and or there are times you really were asking a question and you were told it's not permissible. And regardless of all this, there's always a belief that's present when you are receiving or giving a healing. And that belief is blocking the healing from happening. And the only way that healing can happen is to let go of the belief. Because with that belief, then we doubt the healing can reach us. So as I watch this happen to myself daily about simple things, like I'm in doubt right now about the birds that decide to make a nest in my wreath on my front door. <laughs> day by day, I have one more egg and another egg and a third egg. And every day, I have to open this door to get in and out of my house. And I'm wondering, by the time we get six of them and I open this door, will they all fly in and I'll be running around trying to catch chicks? <laughs> and God's just laughing. Like, you know, I told those birds to make that nest on your door in the nest that you have on your door. And I was like, that does feel like that kind of Francis moment. Am I going to accept it or am I going to be in paranoia about it? Now, I've seen this morning the download came. I could easily just move this just over to the wall and hang it from the light while I hold the same intention of God, which will leave the birds less disturbed. But I have to be in that mode for the birds to continue to use the nest. But if I do it out of fear, they'll discontinue mm. to use that nest. And I see the difference. So it's not about the action, but the behavior that it's coming from. If doubt is involved, it won't work. If, I, if I'm open to the experiences I have over and over again, I'll, say, you know, I'll keep showing people pictures of animals coming in talking to me or orbs showing up because I'm communicating with them. How could I doubt that... God won't be with me as I just shift this two feet over to a place where it's stable on the wall, safe from raccoons, and the birds still are here on purpose to show me the light of God. Because the, the birds are beautiful. I found out it's a house finch. It's a beautiful red. And she, and they both just sit there and talk to me. They sit right over there and they look at me and I can hear them in my head. And they're like, we were told to come to your door. And I'm like, okay, this is wonderful. <laughs> So, Padre, have you been struggling with doubt or had anything where you've been told to believe in something that didn't feel true to you or told not to question and it was a shutdown as opposed to a guidance? How have you experienced this in your past? Well, or I used to work for a saint, so, you know, my life is so good. <laughs> and then there was the real times where, yes, I was in doubt or... My boss was in doubt of my ability <laughs> to use that term. And how each of us, and thank you, Dana, for explaining the, the reason behind doubt. It's fear. There really is a, a concept of we do have to step into, or here's how I would say it, own what is ours. And, you know, me growing up, I think I was fearful. I had low self-esteem, so I trusted other people's opinion. And when their opinion was wrong... You know, then that spin me into an inquiry. It's like, what's up with that? Because I believed you. I would say, faith, you know, you told me, and now it's not working out. So in, in contrast, when I did, I remember specifically, and I told the story once, and I'll just shorten the story. 
back in high school when um, there was the draft that we actually had for and anyone turning 18 had to sign up for the draft and you could be drafted for the Army, the Navy, you know, the Marines, whatever it might be. And I remember my dad was excited because he went into the Army, you know, when he was 18. My brother did and actually was in Vietnam at the time. And, and I did not, and because of the Vietnam War, I did not want to be a part of that. I was fearful. I doubted would my life end because of not knowing what to do if I go over to Vietnam. So I remember making an agreement with God. So I prayed for one year every single night to God that I would not go to the, be drafted. And with all the complications that happened and God's hand was upon it, end result, I did not go. And the, the faith that it took that stand firm and just believe without the doubt because my dad would always say you're going to go in you know everybody has and I go well I'm going to run the Canada I, I, if I get drafted I'm going to go there because I don't want to go maybe it was out of stubbornness but yet there was a degree of when I went into prayer that was my solace and I believe those prayers to be true or promises to God back then a decree and the end result was I did not go, which was a major miracle in our family, especially for me. But then I also had to learn, what am I going to do with my life then? If, you know, the standard is you get drafted, you go in for two years, and then you come out and you, maybe you have a trade. Well, I didn't have any. And education was not my strong point. So going to college wasn't necessarily a <laughs> uh, an opportunity. So I had to learn a trade. And I found work at a steel factory. And within that, again, you have to have teachers, bosses that will teach you the trade. So I had to actually trust them to teach me these tools. But within that, it was actually a grooming place for me because three years into that, Ron Roth came around and asked me to work full-time with him in ministry. And I remember thinking, well, (laughs) I love God but I don't know if I can trust you, Ron, to take me where I'm supposed to go because at that time there was a Catholic priest and my parents wanted me to become a priest. So there's this belief that was, if I go there, then I'm going to become this and I don't want to become this. But my saving grace was always, there was that inner uh, voice within me that um, gave me solace that says, I'm okay, you're okay, just trust the process. And I remember... And I love this decree, Dana, on your first reading, because it talked about being with one heart, one mind, one spirit. And I just made the connection as you were reading that today was God was changing my mind because my heart was true, but my mind was scattered. And it had all these disbeliefs, these fear spirits, these doubt spirits. And it's like, well, can you? And I remember it was the three process for me. It's like, well, maybe, or I think I could, or yes, I can. And in the end, you know, I did end up working with Ron for 28 years. But it was to fight the battle of doubt in my own paradigm. And every day I believe I have to fight, fight doubt because my weakness is actually my brain because I try to interpret what I think it is instead of allowing the spirit to speak through that. So that's been my challenge right now. And, but I, I believe everyone, especially with this virus going on, there's a lot of false belief in that. 
and you talked about this, Dana, about science. Science will prove. Right now, that's all unknown yet because we haven't, quote, proven it yet. So just allow that doubt to let go of and actually just trust the process because if God breathed you into life, he also has a future for you and for me. So let's count on that trust that whoever created us will finish the work. That's beautiful, Padre. And you know, it's great, all the descriptions you said, you, and I think we all experience this, you experienced uh, another person with a belief system that they thought their system or their belief was right, and and a belief system is a mental state. Yeah. And it could have come also from an experiential place. I know Ron had many experiences that were true for him, and therefore I could see those as well, but there could be a the uh, correlation in a mental thought about how another should do it the same way. And I've been guilty of this of trying to get people <laughs> to do the way I've done it. And yeah, when you go, well, that doesn't fit for me. You know, just like my father yeah. wanted me to go into the military too. I was right at that age where draft was stopping. And I remember having the discussion while I was on a roof and he was on the ground because we were doing roofing at that time. And I told him, I'm not going, I'll go to Canada or you know, if I go in, I'm going to be a, a black beret because I know I'll, I'll get I'll be the first person with my head blown off. But I'm I'm not planning on doing this. And his response was a little different than your dad's. He said that if he brought me into life, then he could take me out too. So if I went to Canada, oh, he'd find wow. me and kill me. So I pushed the ladder down. <laughs> I said, "You keep on to put that ladder up here. You're not getting up here. And I'm not coming down." I didn't think that went out well. Enough dinner time. But my experience was telling me this was not safe for me. It goes all the way back to being a kid yeah. in Sunday school and asking questions. And my Sunday school teachers, which were just people, they weren't really ministers. And they didn't have an answer. So they yeah. make me wrong or tell me to shut up. or you know. But they just believed everything they read. And I was like, well, where did Cain and Abel get their wives from? I, I'm just curious. Mm. <laughs> I had lots you of don't questions. Ask like I went to meet the minister, and I was like, how do you talk to God? Because I stopped listening to him when I was a a little boy, and I went to hear it again. I didn't say him. And he was like, looked at me strange, like, uh, and I realized, oh, he doesn't hear God. Mm. He's a belief person, but he doesn't have an experience. And I knew there was no way he could help me. And since he was in a state of, of authority in our community... I couldn't challenge that, so I had to sit back. And so I know a lot of us have stayed with our experiences, and you stayed with your prayer and your communication. Because your prayer, I know you pray differently than most people, Padre, and I don't think everybody understands that. Your prayer is having a conversation with God. I've watched you do it over and over again. It's not a praying up out there, sending out balloons, hoping that someday they'll come back. (laughs) You're really having a conversation. And God tells you what to do while to wait, while you're waiting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't understand that. They still kind of believe a prayer. They, they send it out like a dandelion, make a wish, as opposed to yeah. you've got to love God with your heart and your mind, which means your mind has to open and hear God back. Yeah, true. Absolutely. Good analogy, Dana. Bobby, I'd like to bring you in as well. And you have completely different experiences, but have you ever experienced being this doubt yourself and the cynicism or have others push it down on you and how have you solved it when you've had it happen to you either in your past or currently in your ministry or healing work 
Well, first of all, I'd just like to say, Dana, that was a beautiful introduction. Oh, my gosh, I really felt like I was in a class. It was so rich. So thank you. But I'll just be really honest. When I was a child, I had extreme amounts of pain and suffering. And there was a lot of trauma. There was a lot of my father was in the military. He was in Vietnam. There was alcoholism in my family. There was violence. There was destruction. There was just a lot of terror. And then I also had uh, kind of a lot of the consequences of, of that, where things just did not go well. Like my house burned down. I was in lots of different accidents as, as, at a very young age with motor vehicles and seeing trauma and people suffering and dying. And, you know, just it was, it was very extreme. Wow. Wow. So I learned to, you know, live in a constant state of fear and judgment because my life was always in jeopardy. And so what the the thing, you know, if I didn't have the exquisite connection to heaven and to the angelic realm that I did as a child, I wouldn't have survived. You know, it just was that clear. But then it's so funny because as I got older and I got kind of arrogant in my, you know, in my 20s and 30s, after being so intimate with God and being completely protected against everything that you could imagine, this arrogance kind of took over, this kind of testosterone arrogance, I would say. And I would be like, (laughs) you know, angels, what are angels? You know, what do they know? You know, I mean, I was just, it was just so crazy. And then I had to really be confronted again by the by the angelic realm, by the by the divine realm that says, "Hey, look, what are you push? Why are you pushing against me?" And and I, I you know, it's kind of like being wrestled to the ground by the angel, you know, like uh, we've heard in in uh, some of the Jacob's Ladder and some of those beautiful stories, yeah. which I often talk about when I'm giving testimonials. Why? Because that was me. I know I had both sides of the veil. I had the unbelievable love and mercy and the unbelievable arrogance to say it doesn't exist. And so I had to get broken many, many times over and over and over. And the breaking was not really me. It was the pain of my lineage. It was the pain of my ancestry. It just was this unbelievable burden that had to get broken and forever transmuted so that it would not be carried forward so i just would like to read this one scripture passage from john says and his disciples asked him rabbi who sinned this man or his parents that he would be born blind and jesus answered it was neither this man who sinned nor his parents but it was so that the works of god might be displayed in him and I, this is like my life. I have learned over and over and over that you cannot look through the eyes of judgment because you will always be wrong. Was my dad wrong for his pain and suffering? Was my mother wrong for her pain and suffering? Mm. No, they were just in their pain and suffering. And it took God's mercy on my life to change it. It's just like, that's it. And then the next part of the work is just to step in and to let that light shine no matter what comes up 
no matter what fear is in front of me, no, what, no matter what curse I'm dealing with, no matter what darkness is there, it has to be confronted with the light. It can't, you know, I can't have the luxury of stupid arrogance or fear dominating because it's always going to be wrong. It's not, it's not the light. Yeah. Wow. Bobby, that was quite the testimony. But the congruency of your words and your experiences really tell the tale of one of the phrases you use, especially in our community retreat last year, was everything works together for good. Everything does. And it's like, thank God for everything. And in that, your life showed who you are now. I remember early on, 20 years ago or 20 plus years ago, when you would first come to a Ron Roth's retreats. And I remember you, I would say you or your body, one of the two, was always in excruciating pain. And yeah. now hearing these stories of what you were going through, it's amazing, you know, <laughs> and the transformation that took place. Now, was it easy? No. Was there pain and suffering? Yes. But you allowed the light to heal that, whatever that was. We can call it doubt. We can call it fear. We can call it pain. But it's really in those essence that we allow the essence of God to come and deliver you, restore you, and now become that brilliant light that each of us are being called into, the light of Christ. So it's like, what an incredible story, Bobby. Thank you, Padre. Yeah, well, you know, because you were the one. You were always there. You're, you, you were always the first hand that would help me out. <laughs> I, I understand that. And at times I didn't understand what you were going through. You know, we talk about our boxes. It doesn't fit the boxes at all. And, of course, that extraordinary gift coming through you to, to heal you, to restore you, to refine you, that refiner's fire. And, you know, fire hurts. Fire is pain. But yet, look. what the gift has come through so quite incredible quite incredible yes bobby and i know in your personal healing work you do this with me you just did it the other night when you asked me to look at why was i having an allergy what was i allergic to and i sat back in and i saw the belief that came up and the sadness that was there we identified it and it popped do you can you recall or does it come to the surface what because I learned this back in therapy as well. You're not going to release the doubt if you don't release and, and see. You don't have to get involved in it. But if you don't see the concept, it just buries itself in deeper and it comes until it finally comes up and you have to confess it. Do you know what that belief was that led to the arrogance? Like, I can take everything on from my family or I'm supposed to do this? Because I, I experienced same arrogance at times in my life and I thought I knew everything until I realized oh that's just my defense because yeah, really that's it it was defense and it was anger you know I just I was so angry at just the the profound darkness and I didn't mm-hmm. know what to do with it I didn't have vows I, mm-hmm. I hadn't been Ooh. delivered I hadn't been I mean you know, I had concepts I was a Buddhist I had all kinds of teachings, but I had not been delivered. My soul had not been saved. My soul had not been shown the light. It had been shown teachings, and it had been shown goodness. So I'm not discounting that. I mean, I've met profound, loving, incredible people along the way. But the difference is 
once the light gets in, you, you get set right. And until then, it becomes this quest where you have to, you have to be brought into the light. There's just no other way of saying it for, right. for me. Right. You know, my experience was it was so, it was just so dark and it was so sad that, I mean, I, my whole family is all, it's all addiction and suicide. So it's really, really dark and I just, and, and violent. So I just, I had to be saved. There was no, there was no other way for me to be helped but to be saved. Mm. I remember a moment, Bobby, a confession you made that made me see you take a vow long before you became a monk or a Dane, and that was when you'd have these sessions, and I remember, too, you'd be in pain, Ron would heal you, and then you'd be in pain again. You'd yeah. come back the next time. And you stood up one time after the healing, and you said, Holy Spirit came to you and said, let me be your mother, because you kept yeah. going back trying to help your mother, yeah. and you made a vow to let Holy Spirit be your mother, and I've never seen you in that conflict since. I mean, I haven't seen you a lot, but I saw you at retreats. You were then the light. I could see yeah. the light. So a yeah, lot that, of you, was... what I was trying to express to everyone, everybody thinks a vow really has to do with, oh, well, you know, I don't ever plan on being a monk or ordained. But just we go back to this person that was talking to Jesus. He was just a lawyer, and he was saying, how do I get to this place where I don't have doubt? which is how do I inherit an eternal life? Eternal life does not mean go fly with angels. It means you suddenly understand this connection and experience. And he said, what's written in the law? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You can't forget that second part. And he said, you have to do this and you will live. And that's a vow. Each person has to make that commitment privately, personally. It'll come in the moment of time. And to do that you'll have to release a belief that you currently have that you can't do that. And you'll say, well, I don't believe in Christianity, or I'm a Buddhist, or I'm Native American, a series of stories. And said, he didn't say anything about believe in the Jewish God. He didn't say believe in the Christian God. He wasn't Christian. He wasn't, <laughs> he was Christ, but Christianity wasn't existing yet. Right. You know, but still, mm -hmm. it had to do with you have to make a vow. And so this is where I'd like to I'd like to bring Miriam on because Miriam was both a student for me, but she was then invited to be a novice and was taking uh, setting up to take her vow in becoming a minister. And as she was going through this, a, a situation came that was unbelievable to to her inner family and resulted in a miracle. And so, Miriam, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. So, can you uh, share with us your testimony of what happened at the CLM summer retreat? Yeah, it really was many miracles and many different levels of healing at, at all different levels. Personally, for my lineage, for my uncle and aunt. And, and so what happened was Dana was gave me the divine guidance to invite my aunt and uncle to the healing service after the student retreat. And I knew that that was true. That was the truth. And so I went and did that not knowing what was going to happen because my uncle is a devout Jewish religious person. And I had no idea that my aunt 
might be open either. And so I did, and then they came, and it was profoundly healing on so many levels. They, they, you know, they didn't know what they were at in some level, and they came really just open in some level to be there for me, but really it was for them to each get their own healing. And I watched as Dana and Bob and Padre heal, were, were healing my uncle, I really saw him receive. Like he really took in, I could see the light going in, I could see the energy going into him. And my aunt was still a little questionable when she was getting her healing, she didn't fully receive it. And I didn't know what was going to happen from it all because they've never been in anything like this before. And I've, you know, I've been in communication with my aunt and my uncle since, and I've been helping them a lot. And my own work as well, doing the process, which was, you know, the, the therapy program that Dana talks about, helped me release some of my own bonds and some of my own darkness and doubt in myself, which then helped me, I think, support my aunt and uncle even more through all of this. And then I talked to my aunt and uncle a few weeks ago, and so my uncle had a form of cancer in his throat, and he is completely healed. And the doctors don't know what to make of it, and he doesn't know what to make of it either. But they (laughs) asked him, what did you do differently? And he said, the only thing I can think of is going to that that service with Miriam, <laughs> you know. Wow. And, uh, and my aunt told me that, so that was my uncle's miracle, but my aunt's miracle, she said that she, she was holding on a lot of anger and resentment and bitterness towards my mom and my grandma because they they created a, a huge rift in our family. And she, my aunt told me that, she no longer has any anger. It is completely gone. She is completely resolved mm. and she is completely forgiven and and open with them now. And and they are both just so grateful. They they both recognize the miracles that happened and are just so incredibly grateful for being able to join in that day. And they thank each of you all the time. My aunt says she has a picture of you, Padre Paul, in her fridge. And every day (laughs) thanks all of you for the blessings that they received. And it was pretty profound given just that the open, the willingness for them to come and step into something that was so unknown for them was Mm. I remember it so clearly because when you asked, I knew that your parents were never going to come. And this was important because you were a novice now. You were a student, but you'd made that commitment to being a novice at the time, as I remember. And I knew that if your aunt and uncle came, I just heard it. I couldn't explain it all to you. It would get you past the belief of how you have to hide the step that you're taking. And when they came, I remembered how they were like, what's going on in here? <laughs> you know that look, you see it on people, and you're like, whoa, I didn't realize it was yeah. one of these things. Um, <laughs> but when through the, the energy that was happening in the room, they softened. It wasn't about a belief system. It was about an experience. And when we worked on your uncle, I also saw that energy going in him, and I knew he was healed. 
I don't get into the specifics when I'm working on somebody about what their illness is, but I can see whatever it is leave. And I didn't know that it was just pain from his past or it was something physical, but I was sure that it was gone. So when you expressed it later, and this has been over a year and year and a half or whatever, and I was like, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. But what I saw was it was the result in the starting point of Miriam making a vow. So for all of us, if we make a vow, it expands like a, 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 a rock being thrown in a pond. The ripples go out throughout our families. Because if one person's willing to say, I will love God with all my heart, all my soul, and all my mind, and I will love another even if I'm afraid they'll judge me. Like I'll love my uncle mm-hmm. and my aunt. Even though I know they're kind of mad at my mom and they won't be into this, but I'm going to trust. From this place, I'm loving myself. I'm hearing to bring him in. That was a huge risk, Miriam, and I really ad- admire you taking that step. And that result is life changing across. And I'm sure for your mother who's crossed, there's a change. There's a, there's a shift for her as well. There's a release. I remember doing that with my father when I broke the, I broke the karma stick with him. His spirit on the other side, oh, thank you. I just am so... I was so stuck in that circle and I had to make the vow and I had to make the change. He couldn't do it. So we're all a leader. Everyone on this call is a leader. And as we move into the prayer aspect now, I want you all to, because while we've been talking, the presence has been going to every single being on this call and everybody who's going to listen to this call later. It's in your house or your car or wherever you're listening to this. And I want you to sink deep, maybe put your hand on your heart or your head, or it feels true for you. And think about how you would do this. How would you make a vow? Maybe you don't want to quote this quote and say, I'm going to love God with all my heart and all my mind. feels like I don't know God enough to do that. But are you willing to surrender and say, I'm surrendering now, whatever I can't surrender? I'm willing to know you. I remember the first time this happened to me, I looked at the moon, the full moon, because I was like, I don't know if I believe in God. And I said, but if you're out there, I'll do anything. I'll do anything to change. And when I made that vow, the next day, everything started to happen like an avalanche. Can you make that statement silently right now to yourself? And Bobby, will you come in with a prayer followed by Padre with the closing? Absolutely. I shall wash my hands in innocence, and I will go about your altar, O Lord. These are the cries of David that he made at a time of great anguish. And David knew because he had been given so many opportunities for healing, for the light, for a new way, for his people, for a kingdom. He knew very intimately that Innocence and the work are the two most important things. It's not a belief system, and it's not what is handed down in ancestry, but it's what is given from heaven itself. So I call upon the heavens right now, the heavens that I knew as a child that saved me, the angel wings that touched me in tenderness. I call upon you. And the mother's love that was so, so mystical and rich. 
when I was in the deepest pain, I call upon you. Touch your children now. Open their hearts. Restore their faith in a way that is true and right and good. And all that needs to fall off right now, be it illness or injury, be it concept or an imprisoned reality, let it be, let it be, let it be. As we step into this place of the unknown, just as when Jesus resurrected and he appeared to the 12 apostles except Thomas, and then when Thomas came into the room, all the apostles said, hey, the master was here. And he goes, I won't believe until I put my hands into Jesus' wounds. And as the scripture says, Jesus then appeared and here's my hands, here's my wounds. And Peter believed. And the instruction, listen to Jesus' words to Thomas. Do not doubt, but believe. So whatever you're doubting in, whether it's will this quarantine go away, will I have a job after this quarantine, will my body heal, allow the words of the Master, the essence of Yeshua, to whisper in your ear right now and says, do not doubt, but believe. And I just feel the the usher of angels now, ministering angels to come heal your bodies, heal your relationship, making sure you have a new job after this quarantine. Food on the table, provision, new relationships. This is the, the, the portal at which the Holy Spirit now takes as Bobby stepped into that portal and surrendered his life. Dana surrendered, I surrendered my life. So we all do this tonight. Just repeat after me. Rescue me, Lord, from my unbelief and bring me into your faith. That decree, that vow, opens the door to the divine. I thank you, O Lord our God, for your provision, for your loving kindness, for our Blessed Mother's shining light on your life, our lives, and the saints and the sages. We thank you, O Lord our God, for awaking us in the nighttime, these encounters, holy encounters, and these checks in the mail that will help secure you and your family to bring you, once you can get back on your feet, to that new job for provision, for hope. I thank you, God, for the love that you have for each one of us, a beloved daughter, a beloved son. I thank you, God, for we rest in you tonight. We rest in you tonight. Bobby talked about David, and David wrote most many of the Psalms. If you want to reread Psalm 37, it was after David sinned against God by killing Yeshiba's husband so he could have her. And it talks about the provision that God created for him. David had to live by his own words. And you'll read that in the Psalm 37. That actually his four sons died because he says, whatever happened, four times be worse. And so, like last week, I talked about beware of your words. So... Continue to step into the provision of God by seeing what God sees. God seeing Bobby as delivered. God seeing 
Dana as delivered, myself as delivered, you as delivered, whatever circumstances you are, let's step into that divine faith that says, God, I trust in you. And I seal in the good work of the Holy of Holies, the Holy Spirit, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So be it. It is so.